You are listening to the GTT podcast from the Canadian Council of the Blind. So my name is Kim Kilpatrick, and I would just like to welcome you all to the National Teleconference Call, the Canadian Council of the Blind Get Together with Technology Program. Like to introduce and thank Charles Mossop for coming to present to us tonight. Um, Charles has been volunteering for the World Blind Union for 11 years, and he is currently the president of the North American Caribbean region of the World Blind Union. He also has written several really great books. I really encourage people to go on SELA and look for them. Uh, and I know he told me that he's working on some more. So thank you so much, Charles, for coming on the call tonight. And we will turn it over to you. Thank you, Kim. And thank you for the invitation to, to be here and talk about one of my favorite subjects. And uh, thanks to everybody for taking some time this, this afternoon, this evening, uh, to, to be here. Uh, I'm going to split my presentation into roughly into three parts. The first, uh, very briefly, will be a history uh, of the World Blind Union. Second will be um, uh, an explanation of the structure and operation of the WBU. And then the third part uh, will be... Um, I think the, the one we'll spend most time on uh, when I talk about uh, what the World Blind Union does, what his, has accomplished up to now, and even and how the World Blind Union is relevant to each and every one of us in the blindness community, no matter where we are. A lot of people tend to think, oh, the World Blind Union, that... Uh, that does something out there internationally. Well, it does, yes, but what it does uh, is beneficial to us all. So, um, the World Blind Union was formed in 1984. Uh, there were at that time two uh, quite large and active organizations internationally uh, that decided uh, in the in 1982 that it would probably be beneficial and more effective if they joined forces uh, they weren't certainly work, weren't working against each other or anything like that but uh, their goals and aims were the same uh, so they thought well we can have a greater impact if we work together so they did their work on the initial uh, constitution uh, and uh, put that together and then held uh, a general assembly for uh, the member countries at that time. And I think there were 11 member countries uh, at the first general assembly, which was held in Riyadh, um, Saudi Arabia. After that, uh, the organization uh, steadily grew. 
and more countries joined. And I'll explain the, the membership system later on. Um, more countries joined. Um, the operation uh, of the WBU became more complex, more far-reaching. Uh, more contacts were made. And gradually, the WBU gained recognition uh, at an international level. A great step forward uh, was taken uh, in the 1990s when the World Blind Union was accredited as a consulting agency to the United Nations. Uh, that has had a very profound effect uh, upon the impact that the WBU has been able to have uh, internationally because with that status, you can um, uh, nominate people, your own members, uh, for UN committees of various kinds. Uh, and also, it gives you access to the other United Nations agencies, of which there are a great many, but the principal ones uh, that um, we work with in WBU uh, are UNICEF uh, and the World Health Organization and um, the, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the World Intellectual Property Organization. And I'll explain what our relationship is with those when I talk about structure. So all that was a step-by-step -step process. And uh, now there are just over uh, 200 member countries um, of the uh, of the World Blind Union, and uh, in my region, North America, Caribbean, uh, we have just added seven new members, and there's another one coming. Eight uh, new members, uh, all from the from the Caribbean region. So in this region now, um, we have the world's the, the sorry the yeah the world's richest country the richest country in the western hemisphere which is the united states and in the region we also have the poorest country in the western hemisphere which is haiti so we have a tremendous diversity and uh, everything in between uh in um the uh, around the uh, turn of this century it was decided that um, the World Blind Union could no longer operate without an office. Prior to that time, um, whoever happened to be treasurer kept the books wherever they happened to live. Um, whoever happened to be president uh, kept a lot of files wherever they happened to live. And so it sort of spread out all over the world, and it was very, very difficult. For example, the first thing that the treasurer had to do, if you got to be elected treasurer, the first thing you had to do is get on a plane and fly to where the last treasurer lived and get the books. That would be a bit easier now with, with computing, but that's what had to happen at the time, and that's ludicrous. So um, uh, in the early part of the 21st century, uh, the World Blind Union established an office. 
and uh, there were um, three uh, major countries who were uh, in the running for the office, uh, Canada, Great Britain, uh, and uh, Australia uh, were, were prime candidates and there were other smaller uh, countries that were also interested. But long story short, Canada uh, was chosen by the uh, executive committee of the World Blind Union. And as many of you probably know, the office now uh, has uh, a permanent home uh, in the CNIB building uh, in, uh, on Bayview Avenue in, in Toronto. Well, it's no longer the CNIB building, but it's the CNIB offices in what used to be their building. Uh, <clears throat> that's been a tremendous advantage um, moving now into structure, there are three people in that office and there is a CEO, uh, a remarkable uh, gentleman uh, from um, Argentina. Uh, he speaks all three of the World Blind Union's official languages fluently. He speaks English, French and Spanish and um, he speaks them all at a fluent and professional level. And it's astonishing to hear him dealing in this multilingual fashion with people from, from all over the world. Um, the speaking of the CNIB, uh, the World Blind Union has a number of organizations uh, which support it over and above membership dues. Every country, based on its size, uh, pays membership dues, of course. Uh, but there are several organizations which um, contribute much larger amounts. These are sponsoring organizations. CNIB is one of them. Um, the uh, Norwegian Association of the Blind and Partially Sighted is another. The Danish Association of the Blind uh, is another. Uh, and there, there are there are several others. <clears throat> CNIB um, allows the offices to be used uh, without rent, uh, but other services provided by CNIB are provided to the World Blind Union on a contract basis. Now, the membership of the World Blind Union consists of countries. We don't talk about organizations that are members of the World Blind Union, countries are. But each country is represented by one or more blindness organizations. Canada is represented at the World Blind Union by two, CNIB and the CCB. The United States is represented by six institutions, two major ones, the NFB and the ACB, and uh, four, four others. Um, <clears throat> the maximum number of delegates that any country can have is 10. They do that for obvious reasons. Uh, if you continue to do it just by population, then China and India would rule the world 
and uh, that's not uh, that's not helpful. So ten is the maximum. The United States has ten delegates. We have four in Canada, and other countries um, at the moment. Uh, every country has at least two. And when you get a bit bigger, uh, such as ourselves, you can have four. Canada, when it hits 40 million, which it will do pretty soon, Canada will be entitled to six delegates. Um, and, and so it goes up to a maximum of, uh, of 10. Each of those uh, delegates has a vote uh, within their regions and within uh, and at the General Assembly of the World Blind Union, which happens every four years. There should have been a General Assembly last month, but uh, it was um, going to be in Madrid in Spain and quite clearly and obviously that was impossible. It has been postponed now until May of next year and uh, it is not even sure, uh, of course, that it will be possible next May, even if, uh, even if uh, it's safe to be in Spain. Spain may, of course, not want people from some countries to be there. And also, it's possible that international travel for a while is going to be prohibitively expensive. So we don't really know if there's going to be a General Assembly uh, in um, in Madrid next year, but certainly we all hope so. The Constitution uh, provides for a General Assembly every four years, and it is there that the major work is done in terms of uh, voting for the office holders, uh, amendments to the Constitution, approval of uh, the four-year budget, uh, those kinds of things that are done in many organizations on an annual basis, as does the, the CCB, we, we have a, uh, an annual gathering postponed again this year, but um, the work of an annual general meeting, uh, as you would expect, but the um, World Blind Union has it only every four years because it's a pretty mammoth task to get people together from all over the world uh, to um, to attend these these meetings, but our constitution requires it, and our constitution is registered in Canada. We are incorporated in Canada under the terms of the CNCA, the Canadian Not-for-Profit Corporations Act. Uh, the same the same act under which. Uh, we, we, the CCB, uh, are incorporated as well. So the World Blind Union operates by the same rules. Uh, <clears throat> the major um, decision-making body of the WBU uh, is its executive committee. Now, there are six regions in the WBU. There is Africa, Europe, Asia, East Asia, Latin America, and North America Caribbean. Each has a president. Uh, I've had the privilege of being president of North America and Caribbean region now for eight years. I should have handed on to my successor 
uh, in Madrid last month, but we didn't do that. So um, the region voted to leave everything as it was. So I remain president until next May and I will hand over in May whether we are in Madrid uh, or not. Uh, we may be in we may be in Madrid or we may be in the land of Zoom, but uh, in either in either case, uh, my term will be up uh, in May. Each region has a president and each region has an executive committee um, of three other people. So it's four members uh, from each region, that's 24. That core group comprises the decision-making executive committee, uh, along with representatives of certain international organizations, which are um, also members uh, of the WBU as international members, uh, not national members like Canada, the United States, Trinidad, etc. But you think of a place like uh, Hadley Institute, is a member of the North America region, a member of the WBU, so is Perkins. Um, and there are similar organizations in other, other regions as well. And there are associate members, just a handful. Uh, but the business is done by the executive committee from the regions and representatives of those international organizations. Now that's a bit cumbersome. You can't get that many people together uh, frequently. There's more business than that to be done. So there is a group which is referred to as the officers. And the officers comprise the six presidents of the region, uh, plus the international president of WBU, two vice presidents, the treasurer, and the secretary general. So there are five plus the six, uh, a working uh, executive body of 11 people. And prior to COVID, we met twice a year um, in, various parts, uh, in various parts of the world. Uh, the executive has met in Toronto. Uh, the officers have met in Toronto uh, as well over the years and a general assembly. Uh, of the World Blind Union when it was a lot smaller was held in Toronto actually in 1996. So Canada has been a big player in the World Blind Union and a strong supporter um, and remains so. Um, Dr. Euclid Harry uh, has been uh, or is a past president uh, of, the, of the World Blind Union. But Canada between CNIB and CCB uh, are strong supporters of uh, the World Blind Union. Both organizations uh, provide members to WBU committees um, and to the executive committee from the region uh, and, and so on. The two representatives, delegates from the Canadian region from CNIB are myself and Diane Bergeron and the two representatives, uh, delegates from Canada, from the CCB are um, Louise Gillies, our president, and first vice president, Jim Tokos. And uh, the region was meeting in person uh, 
in various parts of the region, Canada, United States, or in the Caribbean, uh, was meeting twice a year. Um, the we <laughs> were supposed to meet, as I say, in uh, in the spring. We planned to simply meet in uh, in Madrid as part of the General Assembly, as did many other regions. But we couldn't do that, so we uh, teleconferenced for a spring meeting, and we'll be zooming uh, in the fall for a, a fall meeting because travel is unlikely to be feasible by that time. So um, that's the basic structure. That's how the organization uh, operates. Each country, depending on its income level, pays a fee, as I said. And that fee is payable once a year. And for very poor countries, very small or very poor countries, it is possible um, to uh, petition WBU to reduce the fees. And that happens for a few countries every year. And I believe uh, as an officer, uh, as a regional president, that uh, it is an extremely important feature that the WBU make it possible for all countries, large or small, to be members and benefit from the programs, from the expertise, the information, and so on, that's available through the WBU. I know you. anybody can go to the website. Anything that's on the website is for public consumption, but that's not quite the same as actually being a member and being kept up to date by the organization. So in terms of size, we have everything in the WBU, from China at uh, close to one and a half billion, through India at 1.2 billion, all the way down to the newest member of the WBU, the island nation of St. Vincent and the Grenadines in the Caribbean. Uh, we just accepted them and they have a population of a whole 109,000. So we do. Uh, include everyone and I think it's absolutely vital that that we do that we are we are the voice uh, internationally of blind and partially sighted people um, so to function benefits and so on what does that actually mean what do we do well To begin with, uh, when you assemble that many organizations together, more than 200 organizations, thousands of blind people and partially sighted people, you know, the World Health Organization estimates that there's about 283 million, sorry, 238 million blind and partially sighted people um, on earth today. Uh, of those, about 80% are uh, in the developing countries. And of that 80%, about 76% are blind or partially sighted through preventable causes. So one of the things that the WBU is doing is doing its level best in work with the World Health Organization and other agencies uh, to promote eye health 
all over the world, but particularly uh, in the developing countries where uh, malnutrition and starvation affect eyesight, parasites, uh, awful parasites that can affect eyesight, so-called river blindness, which you might have heard of, which is caused by a parasite in, that lives in African rivers, some African rivers. It actually lives in the snails of those rivers, but if it gets into the human body, uh, blindness, complete blindness usually results. But that little parasite can be dealt with. Uh, it's a matter of money and a matter of political will. And uh, we do help organizations, uh, train them through workshops and other sessions like that, uh, through teleconferencing and gosh, heaven knows we're doing more of that now than ever before, uh, as are we all. Um, it, we train them to, uh, in grantsmanship, to be able to look for grants internationally, not only from the small lenders, but from the big ones. Um, uh, with the help of a research committee, um, for four years ago now, uh, I wrote uh, a very large and comprehensive manual, uh, which is on the website, um, the resources manual, um, for individual organizations that are interested in applying for grants. And that manual tells them how to take the very first steps. So we help them with that level of fundraising. That's, that's not for every organization. Little small organizations, you know, don't have the expertise and capacity to do that. And even if somebody did it for them, they don't have the capacity to manage the grant. So we're not talking about small organizations of 100 people or so in some small country getting three or four million bucks. It doesn't quite work that way, unfortunately. Um, but we do help them apply for grants that, uh, that they can manage. And we also help them find the expertise that they need to advocate with their governments for the kind of health care uh, that's necessary to avert this preventable blindness. Now, we are making slow progress. Uh, the estimate of 238 million, uh, I have heard, has just gone down to 235 million. Doesn't seem like a lot, but there are 3 million people now who uh, have sight which might not otherwise. So there are those kinds uh, of work, there's that kind of work that the WBU does on preventable causes in the developing countries, but eye health all over, all over the world, eye health is, is significant. The Caribbean Council of the Blind actually has changed its name to Eye Care Caribbean and it uh, sponsors and arranges for clinics, some of them fixed, others mobile, that uh, move about uh, the larger islands in the Caribbean doing eye, um, eye examinations uh, and so on. In the same sort of fashion as the uh, eye vans do that uh, 
CCB has been uh, has been sponsoring now for some years, and which, as some of you may know, uh, have uh, now jumped to China through the philanthropic efforts uh, of a wealthy uh, Chinese businessman. So there's a lot of reach uh, in that sense uh, going on. Um, and then there is, in addition to eye health and health care, there is the work that um, the WBU does in helping people advocate with their governments for uh, the implementation of what are called the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals. That is a list of 12 development goals which the world would like to see accomplished by uh, 20, let's see, what would it be, 20, 20, 2030. 2030. Um, there's 15 years and they uh, came into existence about five years ago. So you're looking at, at 2030 um, that these 12 major development goals are supposed to be reached. And WBU is working with organizations all over the world to provide information, uh, training where it's necessary, goods, materials uh, uh, for research and so on, so that organizations can advocate with their governments in the developing world to implement these development goals. And they're, they're not surprising or mysterious at, at all. Goals, the principal goal is the alleviation of poverty. And there's the, the goal of education for all, uh, economic uh, independence for all. That is not, uh, it's not all that surprising. But the difference is that in the SDGs, thanks to the efforts of the World Blind Union at the United Nations, Disabled people are particularly noted in those development goals. So instead of just saying education for all, that goal is very detailed. Education for all, yes. Education for the abled, education for, the, for all people who are disabled, and so on. In accordance with the uh, United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. Almost every country has signed that, uh, but not every country has satisfactorily implemented it. So we help organizations advocate for the implementation of the UNCRPD uh, as well. Canada has signed, of course, and uh, we're making more progress than many countries, but still not enough. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So, in the question of, of alleviation of poverty, for example, we try to make it clear to governments that uh, blindness is both a cause and a consequence of poverty. Malnutrition can affect eyesight, as, as we know. So we're not only helping organizations in developing countries advocate for the implementation of those sustainable development goals, we are also advocating uh, 
with the developed countries, the donor countries that give the money for this, advocating for sufficient development aid that we will be able to accomplish the achievement of the SDGs by 2030. Um, we have our fingers crossed. There is progress being made in some areas, but, but not in others. It is the business of the World Blind Union and other disability organizations uh, to keep up the pressure. And one of the principal ways that WBU works with other organizations is through an organization called IDA, the International Disability Alliance. WBU was a founding member of the IDA. It has a board of 12 individuals representing uh, disability uh, communities, um, the blind and partially sighted community, the deaf and hard of hearing community, the autistic, uh, paraplegic, etc., etc., um, And they work together again to be a united voice. That's the way to do it. In, to unite and move forward. And I think probably one of the most significant achievements of the World Blind Union, um, perhaps since its inception in 1984, is the signing of the, the, the creation rather, and subsequent ratifications of the Treaty of Marrakesh. I'm sure you all know what that is, but very briefly, it allows for material for the print disabled to be transferred between countries without any copyright restrictions. Uh, that has made a huge effect, uh, had a huge effect on, uh, on a great deal of, a great many people, particularly students. Uh, it is no longer necessary to um, wait to have textbooks produced in Canada. If they're available in the United States, they can in fact be accessed right away through the Library of Congress and the, um, the, the library service, special library service. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I was uh, chatting to um, the Parksville GTT group um, several months ago now, uh, at Albert Royal's uh, invitation, he explained that he was looking for a book and he wanted uh, to, uh, to to read this book. And so he went to ask if he could buy it. And uh, he was told at uh, chapters, no, you can't buy it. It's not available in Canada. So he went to the library and he said, I want this book. How do I get it? And they said, oh, that, that's okay. We can do that on interlibrary loan. And they got it from the United States for him in jig time. So he was able to read it. That is the operation of the Treaty of Marrakesh. If the treaty did not exist, Albert would be waiting for that book, perhaps waiting forever if it was not produced in Canada, uh, but copyright in other countries then uh, it would never have been available in this country. So this makes a huge difference. And with Marrakesh, the enormous resources of um, uh, print libraries for the print disabled are available to us from all over the world. Now the mechanics are still being worked out. 
it's not easy to put together a system. But as you see from the example uh, with Albert, in fact, um, things are coming along and uh, it's working better and better all the time. Uh, what happened was that uh, the WBU established uh, a committee called the ABC, the Accessible Books Consortium. And it is working out the mechanics of how material can be transferred uh, from uh, country to country, not only in um, disk form, uh, for example, as, as Albert uh, got, but also uh, electronically, which is of course faster uh, wh where it's feasible for the individual who needs it uh, and so on. And all that work uh, is, is being done now. Uh, work is being done by the WBU on um, silent vehicles. You know, those nifty things that hide out in the parking lot and wait till you come out of the store and then sneak up on you quietly behind. I've had two very, very close calls with, uh, with, those, uh, with those vehicles. And uh, WBU is, is working uh, with um, international committees on uh, uh, establishing a sound to be made um, by those vehicles and, and the number of other details associated with them and also on the question of um, the uh, usability and accessibility of autonomous vehicles which are coming there's now no longer any doubt uh, no one organization has got the time or money to do all of this but put us all together and we can make a difference uh, at this international level. Same thing with bicycle lanes. Uh, a lot of work being done in Europe where there are more bicycle lanes than uh, anywhere else, I think. And they're working on technology that make, will make them more safe and accessible for people like us. So it's a matter of uh, unity of purpose and working together. So I'm going to close with an example that uh, I always use when it comes to the question of, of unity. Because the WBU couldn't do, no organization, as I say, could do what's being done internationally. They don't have the time, they don't have the money, they don't have the range of expertise that's necessary. So the illustration I have uh, comes from Greek mythology of a Greek king who was worried that when he died, his two sons um, would not get along very well and uh, the kingdom would suffer and eventually might even collapse. Uh, so he brought his two sons together and he gave them each uh, a, a long stick of wood. And he said, all right, now break that in half. And of course they could do that easily. And he said, put the two halves together and break them. And they did that, and that was easy. And he said, now put the four pieces together and break them. And they couldn't. The lesson is quite simple. In unity, there is strength. So as I say to many organizations that I have the privilege of speaking to, uh, either by Zoom or in my experience with WBU, I have had the opportunity to travel the world and spoken to many organizations all over the world. I 
give them that illustration and I tell them, so remember the four sticks and stick together. So I'm going to stop there now. Uh, if there are questions, I'd be happy to answer them if I can. Thank you so much, Charles. I always love hearing you speak. It always gives me a lot of inspirational feeling to know that the world, and especially in this difficult time, that the world is connected and the world is um, a, a good place to work together in. Um, so my question is, um, I have two questions. So the first one is, is it still the practice in the WBU or the, the bylaw that half the seats from any given country are uh, consumer-oriented organizations or consumer organizations of the blind? And then the other question I have is related to the projects that you said you're working on regarding quiet cars and autonomous cars. And, and I just wanted to find out because I'm assuming in developing nations, they're still dealing with a lot more basic issues. So I'm assuming in developing nations, that kind of work is a lower priority and the, the higher priority work in developing nations would be the prevention of blindness work or more basic issues concerning people who are blind, like access to books and reading material or even basic educational opportunities. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, your first question, uh, the WBU, uh, does not uh, specify how individual member countries are to be represented. Um, that is a matter for the country, but it is assumed that the, if there is one, the National Blindness Organization uh, will be the primary member, doesn't, the primary representative. doesn't have to be the only one. We have two in, uh, in, in Canada. And as I say, they have six in the United States. Um, but uh, it's, it's not, there's nothing uh, that specifies within the WBU constitution um, how uh, a member country uh, identifies uh, its representative organization or organizations. Uh, secondly, you're right about the autonomous uh, and quiet vehicles. That's very much a developed country uh, problem. But uh, I was recently in um, uh, speaking and, and doing some uh, organizational development training and capacity building training uh, in uh, St. Vincent and the Grenadines and in Trinidad. Um, in early no, early January, just before the arrival of, of COVID. And I am here to say that being in the Caribbean in January is uh, much better than being in Canada in January. Um, and uh, I did ask in both countries about the silent vehicle issue. Uh, there are only three silent vehicles in St. Vincent. Um, they're more in Trinidad, but they didn't know quite how many. Uh, but they are, um, they are appearing all over the world, but as you say, uh, not so much uh, in the developing countries and almost not at all in, the, uh, in, in what the United Nations call uh, the poor countries. So we operate differently, of course, at different levels, yes. Does that answer your questions? Yeah, that does. And I, cause I, I, I brought up the issue of the consumer group issue. Cause I, I remember in my brief involvement in the past in the late 1990s and early two thousands that there, 
there was an effort, especially in, in uh, probably in the Western nations, to try to equalize the seats. So spreading it between national service organizations, national consumer organizations, like in, in the United States. Like uh, I know one of the other six seats in the United States, I think, is held by American Foundation for the Blind. I think another one may be held by National Industries for the Blind as well, too. So that's that's correct. The yeah. The ones in the United States are the NFB and the ACB. They provide two delegates each. Then there is National Industries for the Blind, American Printing House for the Blind. Um, you mentioned uh, you mentioned another one. I think I think AF American Foundation. That's for right, the blind. American Foundation yeah. for the Blind, and the sixth one is oh god, I'm losing my grip. Um, well, um, yeah. anyways, yeah, yeah, it's uh, like that. Oh, it may be Perkins. Uh, I'm not sure. Anyway, um, yeah, uh, that so far, um, that is still the the, the system. The uh, there's nothing there is nothing specified. Okay, great. Thanks for your thanks for your answers. Regarding uh, electric vehicles. Uh, wasn't there in the United States a bill to by 2018 or 2019 they were supposed to make a sound? You're right. Yes, in in the United States, uh, in uh, I believe uh, late 2018, they passed a piece of legislation called the um, Pedestrian Safety Act, and among other things, um, that provides. Uh, for um, the, the um, hybrid and electric vehicles to make uh, a certain sound. Uh, in the minds of many, it's not loud enough, but it is there. Um, and uh, also, there are other issues as well, such as um, will the vehicle make a sound when it's stationary? If it's at a traffic light, are you going to be able to hear that it's there? Um, the makers of Volvo, uh, rather Volkswagen, uh, and Mercedes-Benz say it absolutely should not make a sound, and they keep saying over and over again, no one was ever injured by a stationary vehicle. Um, they just don't get it. Well, I know, I know, I I got scared by a um, electric vehicle at a stop at a, at a red light. I didn't realize he was there because there was no motor sound. And then all of a sudden, he took off right behind me, and I just like just yeah, about well, jumped out of my they skin. They don't rev up. No, they just start. Yeah. And the another issue also is the question of whether the driver should have the capacity to turn the sound off. Um, again, some of the European manufacturers say, well, you're coming home at three o'clock at night, uh, three o'clock in the morning, and you don't want to uh, wake your neighbors, so you turn it off, and no one else is around. Um, and they did agree that the default should be that the next time you turn the car on to go someplace, the sound is back. You don't have to put it back. The default is that it's always there. Um, but that's not really satisfactory either. The Japanese were of the opinion that uh, it should be turned off. 
or should be capable of being turned off anyway, but they changed their position very rapidly because in Japan, um, up until recently, it was possible for the driver of a vehicle to turn off the reverse warning sound, the sound that large vehicles make when they, when they are in reverse. Um, and the, in Japan, you could turn that off. Um, about four years ago, uh, unfortunately, um, a truck with its sound turned off, reversed into and killed a blind man and his dog. Um, after that, the Japanese said, oh, well, Lord, certainly that can't be allowed ever to happen again. And so um, they now advocate for a constant sound. So there are a variety of different issues associated with the silent vehicles. Uh, and the WBU provides uh, negotiators uh, who are trying to design an international technical agreement um, that will operate for the entire world. We've had a setback. The European Union has approved their own regulation and it is really not satisfactory. Uh, it um, kowtows to the big auto manufacturers who don't want to spend the money. Um, and uh, however, in North America, we're likely to be pretty well okay because it's expected I trust it's expected that Canada is going to follow the lead um, of the United States and uh, the cars will be, uh, will be sounded uh, from now on. The, the current legislation in the United States uh, says that anything manufactured after December of this year has got to have those warning devices. It's a safety issue for everybody. It's not just for us. It is a safety issue. And um, one of the arguments is that, you know, seat belts are mandatory as a safety issue. Why wouldn't the sound be man mandatory as a safety issue? Well, that's, uh, that's easier said than done. Well, but, I totally uh, agree. Yeah, they need to make a sound and they need, the only time I think they should turn it off is if they're doing 100 kilometers an hour. <laughs> it, it turns off automatically. Yeah, the sound does not persist. I think it's over a uh, um, well in in the U.S. I think it's thirty miles an hour that the sound just turns off. Yeah, I think it's yeah fifty kilometers an hour. I think something it's, like that. Something like that, that or fifty-five. Yeah. Yep. Penny Harton was the first CEO after the office was established. Penny, who used to work for CNIB, transferred and became uh, the first CEO. And um, she retired just a couple of years ago, replaced now by the gentleman I was telling you about from Argentina, Senor Jose Vieira. Yeah. Yep. But um, I think it needs to be um, more known throughout the blind community as well. Well, we do what we can. And uh, I, uh, I love to be able to, uh, to talk to people about it. And uh, you have, you know, we have in the... CCB to other resource people as well as Louise Gillies and uh, and Jim Tokos and uh, they're they're both uh, delegates from Canada uh, they've been at general assemblies uh, that I have attended and they come to the uh, regional meetings now by zoom but they were attending regularly uh, the the regional meetings so they're a resource as uh, as well I was wondering how are the 
Canadian members chosen to represent the World Blind Union Committee? Good, good point. Good question. Once again, the um, World Blind Union does not, um, I don't want to use the word interfere, uh, does not, uh, well, put it this way. The Constitution of the World Blind Union does not provide for any uh, activity by the World Blind Union in the choice of delegates. Okay. Now, in Canada, there are the two major organizations, and it's just an agreement to each are provided. Uh, that's uh, straightforward enough. Um, how uh, I don't actually know um, how every organization that's a member of CCB, uh, a member of WBU rather, chooses uh, its uh, its its delegates. I understand that the uh, board of um, CCB. Uh, our our board makes a decision uh, about that, and at CNIB, um, the the delegate uh, the one delegate is Diane Bergeron. She is vice president for international uh, affairs at CNIB, so that's logical. And uh, I was asked uh, to represent. Canada uh, through CNIB uh, because I have uh, spent uh, more than 40 years in the field of uh, international development, um, international project work, capacity building, uh, and, and so on. So that's uh, how I came to be involved. And I'll be involved after next May as a member of the regional executive and as a Canadian delegate, again, uh, with Diane Bergeron from, um, from CNIB. Uh, the delegates from CCB, uh, I, I don't know about. My first question is the elephant in the room. I guess maybe you don't want to talk about it. Or um, <laughs> are, Is the WBU doing anything to advocate for people who are blind uh, and partially cited in the time of COVID in some of our unique needs uh, concerning COVID. Um, and is there any way that people can help on, like I know they can't be delegates, but if people wanted to be more involved internationally in things, are there committees, are there ways that individuals can be involved at all with the WBU? Um. The answer to both questions is yes and yes. Um, the, the WBU is, is very active at, at the moment uh, on the question of COVID. Um, there have been uh, a number of um, incidents reported and recorded from all over the world um, in which essentially uh, well, there's a whole variety of them without going into detail, but they, they range from um, blind people receiving uh, sighted guide assistance, being refused entry to stores because they're not six feet away from the person who's guiding them. Well, my arms aren't quite that long. I don't know about yours. Um, uh, there's also uh, problems relative to guide dogs. There was actually a complaint in the United States that guide dogs were not trained to uh, keep their handlers six feet away from everybody else. Um, all the way down to uh, developing countries 
where disabled people in general, and I should point out that there, while there's 238 million blind and partially sighted people uh, in this round world, the total number, according to the World Health Organization, of disabled people generally is 1.2 billion. It's the largest minority within humankind, 1.2 billion. And there have been, particularly in the developing countries, but not limited to the developing countries, there have been incidents of individuals, disabled people, blind and partially sighted people as well, of course, being denied treatment for a variety of excuses and reasons. So uh, the uh, World Blind Union is active uh, as best it can be in these this day and age with the United Nations, with WHO, uh, and with individual organizations throughout the, the member countries uh, to provide information on ways in which to advocate uh, for um, the kind of treatment which is our right uh, under the uh, UNCRPD and the, uh, uh, the Convention on, Hu on Human Rights, uh, as well, the General Declaration of Human Rights, uh, and all of those, and all of those international instruments uh, which bear upon the rights of individuals and, of course, disabled individuals thereby. Uh, so yeah, the um, the the WBU is as active as it can be uh, at the moment, and I can I can give you a a very distressing example of what amounts to discrimination against uh, disabled people. I'm keeping track of the COVID situation um, amongst all of the uh, member countries uh, in my region, the North America Caribbean. And of course, many of them, if, if not all the Caribbean countries are going to be devastated because of the uh, loss of tourism revenue. But also in the poorest country in the region, uh, the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere and one of the poorest countries in the world, that is Haiti. Um, I got a message from the president of the Haitian Society for Assistance uh, to the Blind. It's a French-speaking country, of course. That's why they're in our region. And he says that um, the information that he has is now suggesting that there are more disabled people in Haiti dying of starvation than there are dying of COVID-19. It's a 10, there are 10 million people in Haiti and there are about 6,000 cases at the moment and climbing all the time. But it seems fairly clear that the disabled population is simply being ignored. And that is both frightening and infuriating. So your second question uh, about involvement, uh, the WBU has got all sorts of committees. And uh, so the, uh, they, are, they are staffed for now, um, but there will be um, new committee members chosen following the General Assembly next 
May. It should be happening now, but we didn't do that last month. Um, and so uh, what, what we can do um, is to uh, circulate information on those committees uh, to see who may be interested uh, in joining them. There is, for example, uh, a technology committee, um, which is, and, and the, there's um, a member of the technology committee in, in Victoria, Mark Nickel. Uh, that Albert is very interested in joining the technology committee for the next four years, for example. There's a committee on uh, employment there are um, committees on uh, the implementation of Marrakesh, on advocacy, all sorts of things. And there's plenty of expertise in our organizations um, that we can put forward. Now it's a nomination. Uh, so, I mean, if, if I say I have, uh, you know, Albert Ruel or uh, Kim Kilpatrick or whomever, uh, that's interested in serving on this particular committee. That does not guarantee uh, that that you will be chosen. But it's like the lottery. You can't win if you don't buy a ticket. Does that help, Kim? Oh, yes. Awesome. Uh, thank you. And is uh, is WBU, I think it is connected to I, ICEB, right? ICEVI? ICEB, the internet, the English Braille uh, International, what is it? ITEB. Yeah. Oh, you, uh, yeah, the Unified English Braille Movement, UEB. And the, uh, yeah, the World Braille Council uh, is a major committee of the WBU, and it is working with the other committees on Unified English Braille and uh, those various other Braille issues. Yeah, mm -hmm. and that I can tell you is a pretty popular committee. And the, um, the, the North American representative to uh, that committee uh, at the moment uh, is uh, Kim Charlson, who is um, also a member of the Accessible Books Consortium. Kim is a head librarian at Perkins School for the Blind and incidentally, uh, president of ACB uh, at least she was until last weekend, president of ACB, and she will succeed me next May as regional president uh, as well. Yeah, I, I, but I know that the International Council on English Braille was supposed to have an AGM too, like in England or somewhere like that. That's so correct, they, yes. Yeah, and I think yeah. that zoomed into uh, into existence. Uh, yeah, it hasn't, I think they've, they were hoping to still meet in person, but I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, I, I, I yeah. believe. Well, a lot of a lot of groups are. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm still hopeful that uh, that uh, the region can meet in person in in November, but it's a pretty long shot, you know. Yeah. And the, the officers, the officers are supposed to meet the 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 five uh, officers I was telling you about and the six regional presidents. That um, we're meeting in October, but we're set up to do it on Zoom uh, on three days in one week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And because of the distances and the time zones, there's me in Western Canada and Martine, the treasurer we were talking about, she's in New Zealand. There's 21 hours difference be between us. So those meetings that the officers have had and will have in the future mean that I have to be on deck at 4 a.m. 
And I told them last time, there's, there's only one four o'clock per day for me, and this one isn't it. <laughs> but um, it's, uh, it, it's, it's okay. Uh, that's, that's the way it has to be. If you want to get involved internationally, then these days, that's where you are. I was uh, in and out of this uh, presentation. Did I understand correctly in the beginning that uh, that there was another organization merged with with the World uh, Blind Union? Uh, was it in the fifties? No, uh, that was in 1984. 1984. There were two organizations. They merged to form the World Blind Union. Okay, and those two organizations were. Oh, before my time uh, as a volunteer with them. One of them, I think, was called the International Federation of the Blind. Uh, the other one, I'd have to check on. Okay. But so what, they, what is the, um, uh, another question, and maybe this was mentioned when I wasn't, uh, when I was, uh, had to step out. Sure, what is away. the uh, mission or vision statement of the World Blind Union and, and, who or what funds it? Oh, okay. Well, uh, I did mention the funding. It's it's funded by individual memberships and also by many grants and donations from sponsor organizations and also by large grants from international organizations um, associated with uh, World Health and uh, with... Um, with uh, our, our goals and aims, such as the Christian Blind Mission, CBM, uh, mm -hmm. and um, uh, Sight Savers, and so on. They provide good funding for, for the World Blind Union. Mm -hmm. Now, the mission uh, and uh, statement, really, of, uh, of the World Blind Union is, is, again, not surprising and very, very similar to the mission statements of uh, organizations of and for the blind all over the world. It is essentially uh, to work towards uh, the independence, the full independence of blind and partially sighted individuals throughout the world, which will enable them to take, uh, play a full part socially, economically, culturally, and politically uh, in their communities. In different words that, that you know, most organizations uh, say. First of all, thank you so much for the presentation. Um, I heard about World Blind Union mainly just from coming to work at uh, CCB, really, is where I first really heard of it. Right. Um, I get a lot of um, the emails that are sent out, and some of them are surveys. And I'm guessing that one of the ways that we can participate and that we could help is uh, I, when surveys come out would be to complete them. I'm just, oh, yeah. I, I think that might, because I, I know I've seen some that come through there. They're sent to a, the CCB National Office, which is the email address that I monitor, so I pass them along as much as I can. But I'm guessing that's one way that, that uh, everybody can help. Thank you. That, thank you. Thank you for mentioning that, Shelley. That's really important. Um, one of the things, indeed, that the WBU does is collect information. And um, well, it's done usually through surveys. The surveys go to the representative organizations. Uh, 
and they are then circulated to their members. And if you get one of those surveys, it would be hugely appreciated if you fill it in uh, and send it back uh, as, as requested. Um, if, if, if you can't measure something, you can't ma manage it. And so we need to know the, the situation, not just relative to COVID, but there are all sorts of these surveys that come out uh, um, on various occasions in which we uh, strive to gather information about what's happening uh, in the blindness community uh, all over the all, throughout the world. That is so great. I love your stories and no wonder you're such a brilliant writer and we really, really oh, appreciate geez. you coming on here with us. I just <laughs> always get a travel uh, itches when I hear you talk about international things like that. Maybe, uh, Charles, maybe you said that your books could be found on SELA. Uh, um, maybe for those who don't know, maybe you could spell your name or maybe give us the title of the books so we could find them. Uh, two of my novels are on Sila. The, the third one is uh, in ebook format only. Uh, the title of, well, look, at, let me just spell my name. That's easier than trying to remember the titles. <laughs> my name is spelt and it's in the, uh, in the circular for this meeting as well. My surname is Mossop. M-O-S-S-O-P. That's Mary, Oscar, Sierra, Sierra, Oscar, Papa. Thank you for listening to the GTT podcast from the Canadian Council of the Blind. There are many ways to get in touch with us. You can call us toll-free at 1-877-304-0968. You can follow our GTT blog at gttprogram.blog. If you'd like to subscribe to our email support list, you can send a blank email to gttsupport plus sign subscribe at groups.io. And you can follow the Canadian Council of the Blind on the web at ccbnational.net. <laughs>